2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 1 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 1 and David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul this psalm of thanksgiving is essentially the same as Psalm 18, with some minor variations. It was written in the later years of David's reign. Both before and after becoming king, uh, David had to deal with many enemies, both from within and without the kingdom. Whilst Saul was still king, David even had to flee for his life and hide in caves in the wilderness. To all these dangers, the Lord protected David. He was the one appointed by God to be Saul's successor. And so, whatever Saul attempted to do to him, no mere man could frustrate the purposes of God. We read in 1 Samuel 23 and verse 14, David abode in the wilderness in strongholds and remained in the mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. Uh, And then also in 1 Samuel 23, We read in verse 4. Then David inquired of the Lord yet again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Kailah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thine hand. And so here we see the Lord protecting David and also prospering him in his conflicts with enemies. And this was because David sought the face of the Lord in prayer. Indeed, we have an account of such an occasion uh, in the previous chapter here, uh, to Samuel 21 and verse 16. Uh, We read, and Ishbibano, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed three hundred shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, succored him, and smote the Philistine, and killed him. And so there we read that a Philistine giant on the battlefield uh, almost kills David. Uh, But the Lord ensures that Abishai uh, protects David and delivers him. And so it is David's experience that he is enjoying the Lord's protection as he prays. And we read in verse 2, and he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. 
And so David praises God for keeping him through so many dangers. A rock is that which is solid and immovable. And David has trusted in the Lord as a secure resting place which cannot fail him. Moses declares in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 3, I will publish the name of the Lord. Ascribe ye greatness unto our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. And so God always acts with a perfect justice in his government of the world. And he is the rock on which the believer builds a sure foundation. And so we read in verse 3 here, The God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation. The God of my rock means the God who is my rock, the God who gives me a sure foundation. Now, because of the association with powerful animals, the word horn uh, in the Bible is frequently used to denote great strength. And so David says in this verse 3 that God is the horn of his salvation. We similarly find this expression in the prophecy of Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, where he uses it to describe our Lord's great work of saving men from their sins. And so in Luke 1 and verse 68, we are told, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. And uh, David, in this third verse, also says that God is his shield because he's rejoicing in the protection which he has received. And he goes on and speaks of the Lord as my high tower, my refuge, my saviour. Thou savest me from violence. So David calls the Lord his high tower and refuge. When Saul was seeking his life, he had to seek security in high mountains in deserted regions. He had to hide in clefts of the rocks. And his doing this aptly symbolised his being kept safe by him who is the true rock, the true place of refuge. David's testimony was that the Lord has saved him from violence, oppression and injury. David, as we have said, had a very special place in God's purposes. For through his royal line, there would one day come the very saviour of the world. Now, Satan 
was behind all the malice of Saul towards David. So we need to understand that. That as David had to flee for his life, this was a spiritual battle going on. And so the devil was endeavouring to work through Saul. Uh, But the purposes of God can never be thwarted. Christ through church today has many Satan-inspired enemies. Uh, We are truly being assaulted, uh, both from within and without. We are particularly being assaulted by those who call themselves Christians, uh, but who compromise on biblical truth. And so as we go out and declare the truth towards Scripture, people come up to us and say, well, I know lots of Christians who don't believe what you're saying. And so the truth is under attack. And of course the whole of the Western world is in the grips of cultural Marxism and this ludicrous political correctness which even attacks the most basic creation concepts of male and female which attacks the institution of marriage which attacks even life itself as we are seeing in the Republic of Ireland uh, at the moment and uh, as we of course have seen in our own nation uh, for many years the minister for women and equalities of our own government here uh, in the UK uh, was saying the other day that she really hopes the referendum in Ireland uh, whether to introduce abortion or not uh, goes in favour of those who want abortion Uh, and uh, she described a vote uh, for abortion as, as being great and historic. This is our government. This is a minister of our own government openly saying that human life can be murdered in the womb. This is a minister of our government openly declaring that the Christian scriptures need not be consulted when governments decide their policies. So we are engaged in a conflict against Satan and all his forces of wickedness. Uh, And these forces are attacking life itself. They are attacking what we are as human beings, man and female. They are attacking the institution of marriage. And this is why we need to do what David did in great danger. He sought the face of the Lord in prayer. And we need to remember as we confront the world, we don't run away from the world, we confront the world, that we are under the Lord's special protection. Deuteronomy 33 and verse 29 The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. 
and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall say destroy them Israel then shall dwell in safety alone happy art thou O Israel who is like unto thee O people saved by the Lord the shield of thy help and so God's Israel today which is the true church is protected and surrounded by many enemies so we need to take heart from that verse 4 I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised so shall I be saved from mine enemies the nature of God renders him worthy to receive the praises of all men all unbelievers including those who very deliberately reject God are nevertheless having their lives sustained by him each day and so the obligation to praise God actually rests upon all people without exception he is worthy to be praised by all although all of course do not praise him Uh, but as we have noted God has a very special care for his own people well if even the unbelievers are under an obligation to praise the God who sustains their life how much more are we as those who have received Christ's salvation under an obligation to praise him Uh, David in this verse 4 is describing his ongoing experience it is his practice to call on the Lord his many deliverances from enemies have come about as he sought the Lord in prayer and so we are being reminded in these words of praise of the power of of prayer of course we were particularly thinking about the power of prayer yesterday when the nation humbled itself before the Lord when faced by a powerful invading enemy it was the prayers of the people which made all the difference back in 1940 Uh, we read in James 5 and verse 16 the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months and he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit so there we see how Effective were the prayers of Elijah. Now, both David and Elijah were mere mortals, as we are, but how effective were their prayers? And they were effective because they were obedient believers. Uh, notice in James 5, verse 16, that James says, it is the prayer of a righteous man which avails much and so those who are sinning 
those who are careless about holiness will not have their prayers answered. We must be pursuing holiness if we wish the Lord to hear our prayers. Isaiah 1 verse 15 When you spread forth your hands I will hide mine eyes from you. Spread forth your hands in prayer. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil, and then I will answer your prayers. That is what the Lord is saying. And so, crying out to the Lord for mercy must always be in the context of repentance and the pursuit of holiness. And that, that applies to individuals, and it applies to nations. Let not nations think that they can turn to God in a time of crisis, but carry on in sin, or carry on enacting legislation contrary to God's commandments. And we really need to make our society understand today that as we as a nation and as our government openly embraces Bible rejecting concepts and God rejecting world views God cannot possibly bless the nation and so as we pray for the nation we must at the same time call the nation to repentance otherwise God will not hear the prayers of the nation. And this is why we do have to challenge governments on specific issues uh, as they arise. Verse 5. When the ways of death compass me, the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. Well, this language here in verse 5 brings out how David often felt utterly overwhelmed by the power of his enemies. In mere human terms, he was terrified. Uh, And is not that the case with us as we view the scale of the anti-Christian opposition all around us? It can be terrifying. And it will be terrifying in July, early July when we go and witness in central London against a public parade celebrating gross immorality. Uh, What is most terrifying and and, uh, what is most distressing is the enormity of society's transformation and embracing of anti-Christian morality and all the great and the good that are supporting this celebration of the breaking of God's commands. Leading politicians are there, celebrities uh, from all kinds of walks of life, and many household name commercial companies are there to show we support this breaking of God's commands as well. And so there is a great temptation to feel intimidated by the size of the opposition. 
And the great temptation to say, well, we can't possibly do anything, therefore there's no point in being there. But of course that is letting the devil win. That is saying, well, we Christians are just too weak to do anything any longer. But we have to remember David. Read verse 5 here. When the waves of death compass me, the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. But David still trusted the Lord, his rock, his fortress. Verse 6, the sorrows of hell compass me about. The snares of death prevented me. The Hebrew translated sorrows there can also be rendered pangs or pains. So we are thinking of a man in grievous pain as being near to death. Uh, Hell in that particular context uh, means the state of being dead, the grave. Uh, And so the sorrows of hell refers to the terrifying anguish of one looking imminent death in the face. This was the position David was often in. Death was staring him in the face. And so uh, David had experienced all this danger. He says the snares of death prevented me. Uh, That's the original use of our word prevent, uh, meaning to go before. Wherever David went, death, as it were, went before him and stood in front of him. And so, what did David say? Did did David say, well, this is just too much. I'm just going to run away. I'm never going to come back to this country. It's too dangerous here. We read in verse 7. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. And he did hear my voice out of his temple. The temple here refers to God's heavenly abode. There was no temple building in David's day. Uh, But the tabernacle symbolised the presence of the God who inhabits heaven, hearing his people on the earth. The physical temple then assumed that role when it was built, when it was completed in Solomon's time. And so we read in 2 Chronicles 6 and verse 21, Hearken therefore unto the supplications of thy servant and of thy people Israel, which they shall make toward this place. Hear thou from thy dwelling place, even from heaven, and when thou hearest, forgive. And so the people were to direct their prayers towards the temple because the temple symbolised the presence of God in heaven. He did hear my voice out of his temple. Then we further read in verse 7, And my cry did enter into his ears. David's point is that God heard him in the midst of all his great distress. The Lord answered his prayers for help. 
we've been thinking in the last 24 hours about how the Lord answered a nation's cry for help. In 1940, both at the time of Dunkirk and then the time of the Battle of Britain, there were two national days of prayer which were heavily supported up and down the land. And the nation was delivered from the hand of the invader. He did hear my voice out of his temple and my cry did enter into his ears. Now, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, in verse 11, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And so we have to realise that if we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must expect the world's opposition and mistreatment. There is no way of escaping it if we are being faithful. Sadly, uh, many choose the path of compromise to escape such persecution. But we need to remember that our anti-Christian enemies can only ever do what God permits them to do. The Lord watches over those who are his. He watches over them materially in terms of their everyday circumstances. We need to remember that we can never be the chance victim of calamity as Christians. Yes, the world may horribly treat us, but we are never, even in the midst of that treatment, put beyond the sphere of God's protection. As Paul says in Romans 8, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And so whatever the world does, we have the infinitely more powerful God on our side. Psalm 27, verse 2, David declares, When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. David goes on in verse 5 of that psalm. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And so David was not daunted by the greater numbers arrayed against him. And nor must we be 
as Bible-believing Christians today. We live in an openly Christ-rejecting society. So we have to remember that God and his angels are with us and not with them. Our Lord told his disciples, Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 10, 28. So David declares in this verse 7 here, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried to my God, and he did hear my voice out of his temple. And my cry did enter into his ears. We, in our distress, that the world all around us today must, like David, be earnestly praying down God's protecting power. He will give it to those who are constantly turning to him for renewed strength. Verse 4 again. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. David as God's appointed king and as assailed by Satan and his many assistants foreshadows the Lord Jesus Christ who himself sets us the supreme example of earnest prayer as the enemy surrounds him. When the Lord was confronted by all the forces of Satan arrayed against him in the Garden of Gethsemane. We read in Luke 22 and verse 44, being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow, and said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray lest ye enter into temptation. The disciples had great trials ahead of them. Their lives were in danger. God desired to watch over them. But God works through means. He requires that we receive his strength as we pray and as we keep in the path of duty. So, the words of David here in 2 Samuel 22 are a great exhortation to prayer. Philippians 4 verse 6 Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We must always pray in the context of what is God's will. In God's purpose, it was that David's physical life should be protected and that he should come to the throne. 
But in that same purpose of God, it was his will that the greater David should suffer and die. The apostles initially uh, wanted the Lord to escape uh, any such ignominious end, but it was the Lord's will that he should suffer and die. And so we have to pray in accordance with God's will. We need to remember that, uh, generally speaking, the Lord's apostles were martyred for their faith. This was not because their prayers were not answered in the way that David's prayers had once been. It was because the Lord chose to answer their prayers and deliver them in a different manner. Matthew 21 verse 22, the Lord says, All things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. So, everything we ask for in accordance with God's will, we shall receive. We pray, guided by the Holy Spirit, and according to the precepts and promises of God's will. If what we ask for is not received, it is because we do not perfectly know what God's will is, or what is best for us. Or it is because we do not understand the superior wisdom of his timings. Prayer can accomplish what humanly seems impossible. We need to remind ourselves of that. We are perhaps tempted to think we're never going to see the day again in this country when the churches are packed with people singing praises to the one true Saviour God. But God can do great things through prayer. We must never underestimate the power of prayer. Mary, Queen of Scots, once said, I fear John Knox's prayers more than an army of 10,000 men. And she meant that. She feared that godly man's prayers. Bishop J.C. Ra once rightly warned that neglect of prayer is one great cause of backsliding. It is the trying to carry their own burdens which so often makes believers sad. It is the trying to carry their own burdens rather than taking them to the Lord in prayer which so often makes believers sad. To encourage us in prayer let us remember the words of Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so as we read these words in 2 Samuel 22, 
May we be encouraged, as David once was, to continually call upon the Lord in prayer. Let us call upon him who is our rock, our fortress, and our deliverer. That was David's experience. And it can be ours also. Amen. Oh,